This week in KMA Land, none victorious in 3rd District Thriller. Reynolds re-elected Iowa's governor. Grassley and Schmidt win key Senate races. Voters give Graves 12th term in Congress. And we'll look back at the outcome of some major legislative races in Tuesday's general elections. I'm Mike Peterson. KMA Land voters were seeing red following Tuesday's general elections with total dominance by Republican candidates in the region. Among other things, the GOP successfully flipped a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Republican challenger Zach Dunn was the winner in Iowa's 3rd Congressional District race over two-term incumbent Democrat Cindy Axney. Dunn won by a little less than 2,200 votes, or 50.25%, to Axney's 49.58%. The current state senator and war veteran claimed victory in a speech to his supporters in Des Moines late Tuesday night. Nunn says the economy was a big factor in his victory. All of our families are facing an economic situation that is harder every day because of policy decisions coming out of Washington, D.C. Team, we have the ability to change that. This district, this race, changes the course of America. Nunn also thanked his family as well as voters on each side of the spectrum. Thank you for those of you who voted for us. Thank you for those of you who volunteered for us. And even thank you to those who may not have voted for us but will continue to hold us accountable because serving Iowa means serving everyone regardless of party. Nunn also says he'll work with both state and local office holders while in Congress. Grim, tonight is a new chapter for Iowa. We are going to serve all Iowans, and we are going to work with our leaders. Our amazing governor, Kim Reynolds, who has led this entire team to victory. Our statewide candidates, our state house, including the Senate and our house, as well as our county supervisors, who are making a difference at the most local and arguably one of the most important levels. Axney issued a statement late Wednesday afternoon conceding the race to none. Republicans had an easier time in Iowa's other congressional races. GOP incumbent Randy Feenstra easily, easily won a second term in Iowa's 4th Congressional District, defeating Democrat challenger Ryan Melton 67 to 30 percent. Another Republican incumbent, Marionette Miller-Meeks, defeated Democrat Christina Bohannon in Iowa's 1st Congressional District, while Republican Congresswoman Ashley Hinson was the apparent winner over Democrat challenger Liz Mathis in the 2nd Congressional District. Tuesday's red tsunami in Iowa included an emphatic victory by incumbent Kim Reynolds. Reynolds won a second term as the state's governor with an overwhelming victory over Democratic challenger Deidre Dugier, 58.4 to 39.2 percent. Reynolds spoke to her supporters shortly after the polls closed Tuesday evening. It has been uh, the honor of a lifetime to have the opportunity to serve as the governor of this amazing state. And it's even... um, a greater honor to be given the opportunity to serve you for another four years. Reynolds has been particularly grateful for Iowans' resiliency following a whirlwind first term. We've faced uh, some significant challenges, floods, uh, a worldwide pandemic, a derecho, tornadoes. I think we went back and did a little more flooding, a little more drought, uh, and so much more. But I think one thing that we've shown is that Iowans can do anything when we stand together and our state, of course, is better for it. So now we are ready for the next challenge. And once again, I can tell you without hesitation, we are going to exceed expectations. 
Reynolds became governor in 2017 following the resignation of Terry Branstad and was elected to her first full term in 2018. Tuesday was also a big night for Chuck Grassley, who secured his eighth term in the U.S. Senate by defeating Democrat Michael Franken. Grassley, who has served in the Senate since 1980, thanked his supporters and all voters in an accepted speech Tuesday night. Tonight, we celebrate freedom of thought, freedom of speech, the open discourse and disagreement that our system allows, and independent expression and the power that comes through the ballot box. The people have spoken tonight. Grassley spoke about what he believes are vital issues moving forward into his next term. This election, Americans want to return to energy independence. Americans want border security. Americans want the political bias out of the Department of Justice and the FBI. Republican Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt also pulled away for the Missouri U.S. Senate seat, securing 55.4 percent of the vote, defeating candidate Democrat Judy Bush Valentine, who mustered 42.1 percent. In his acceptance speech, Schmidt said the election was about more than just the candidate. Tonight is about all the regular hard-working Missourians who've suffered the last two years, those who've been left behind, people who work hard every day and want their children to inherit America they've known and loved. These folks are the heart and soul of America, and I will be their champion in the United States Senate. During his acceptance speech, Schmidt shared what he sees as the future of America. I believe in an America where every child is welcomed into this world regardless of their ability, because every human being has dignity and respect that is worthy of that. I believe in an America where kids can get a great education filled with knowledge and free from political indoctrination. I believe in an America where we're not just energy independent, but energy dominant. Schmidt will take the seat occupied for the past 12 years by Senator Roy Blunt, who announced last year he would not seek a third term. It's become an election night tradition of sorts, Sam Graves giving a victory interview. The Tarkio Republican won a 12th term in the U.S. House of Representatives with an overwhelming victory over Democrat challenger Henry Martin in Missouri's 6th Congressional District. An official result showed Graves with more than 70 percent of the vote to Martin's 27 percent. First elected to Congress in 2000, Graves told KMA News, it's hard to compare this victory over the previous 11 wins. Every one is different. Every single election and, and campaign is different and it's one of the most humbling things ever you know when people believe in you and and give you their vote i never take an election for granted or a vote for granted and and, uh, and it just it, it feels great it really does but it is absolutely one of the most humbling uh experiences ever and and uh, you never get used to it Grace says one of his priorities upon returning to washington is providing oversight of the house transportation committee and cutting wasteful spending in that category when you're pushing 1.2 trillion dollars out as fast as it's being pushed out um there's going to be a lot of waste and abuse and we also have to make sure that the administration um is following the the intent of the law the letter of the law and, and they've tried to change it 
through rulemaking authority. And so, you know, that's going to be one of the first priorities that we have in, in the Transportation Committee is, is those infrastructure dollars. One of the new faces coming to the U.S. House besides Zach Nunn is Mike Flood. A Norfolk native and former Speaker of the Nebraska Legislature, Flood defeated Democratic challenger Patty Panzing Brooks in Nebraska's 1st Congressional District with 58.4% of the vote compared to Brooks's 41.5%. This is the second time Flood came out on top of Brooks after winning a special election earlier this year to determine the replacement for Jeff Fortenberry, who resigned in June. Flood spoke to and thanked his supporters in an acceptance speech from his hometown of Norfolk. Thank you to all of you. Uh, I'm more. I'm born and raised here in Norfolk. Um, this is where I got everything started. I've been doing neighborhood elections since 1983, and uh, I would not <laughs> want to be anywhere else but in Norfolk tonight. This is very special for me. So to all of you from Northeast Nebraska and those of you who traveled, Thank you very much for being here. Flood shared his enthusiasm to keeping all three seats in Nebraska Republican and a likely chance of the GOP taking a majority in the U.S. House. We set out in January to keep this seat Republican. That's what I said on January 16th when I announced my candidacy. I announced that we needed a change of leadership in Washington, and I'm excited to say we're about to fire Nancy Pelosi. How about that? Republicans also kept their two other Nebraska congressional seats after incumbent Don Bacon eventually pulled away from Democratic challenger Tony Vargas in the second congressional district with more than 52 percent of the vote, while Republican Adrian Smith received over 78 percent of the vote in the third congressional district. KMA land residents decided on some key legislative races in southwest Iowa Tuesday. Winners included Republican incumbent Tom Shipley, who cruised to victory for his third term in the Iowa Senate by defeating Democratic challenger Trip Narup for the Senate's ninth district seat with just under 77 percent of the vote. Following then-State Senator Hubert Hauser's retirement, Shipley was elected to the legislature in 2014. Shipley spoke with KMA News following his victory Tuesday. I am just very appreciative of all the support and, and the help I got from around the district uh, uh, to do things, get signs put together, have sessions, meeting people, and so forth like that. Um, that sort of thing is, is priceless, and I can't thank people enough for the help they gave me. Shipley says some name recognition due to his previous experiences helped him push through in the new positions of his district. Having worked with uh, different cattlemen's associations and so forth, and, and well, I'm part of my district that, that's new, I mean, I worked there for a lot of years and uh, worked in those areas, so there's there were quite a few people in knew who I was, and I guess they didn't hold that against me. One of the new faces in the legislature is Shenandoah High School graduate Devin Wood. The Republican defeated Democratic candidate Pat Shipley in the Iowa House's 17th district, securing more than 71 percent of the votes compared to Shipley's 28 percent. Wood fills the seat vacated by longtime Republican State Representative Cecil Dolacek, who decided not to run for re-election. Wood tells KMA News she is honored to serve Iowans at the State House. Definitely been a, a great, great election cycle. Um, I'm, I'm so honored by the support that, uh, that I've had uh, tonight and throughout this campaign. Um, it's, uh, 
it's been a whole lot of fun, and uh, I'm just I'm just honored for the opportunity. Wood added she has some big shoes to fill in replacing the seat previously held by Dolacek, who Wood says had become a mentor for her and many others. Other Republican nominees had strong nights in the Iowa House, including Brent Seacrest in the House's 19th district, defeating Democratic candidate Elizabeth Christensen with 57 percent of the vote. Seacrest says his previous experiences in the state house were likely factors in his victory. A long time ago, I spent 18 years in the Iowa House and then had another career, and so I've come back to the Iowa House uh, for my second term. So I think people understand uh, that I know the process and that uh, I was pretty effective the first time and uh, just uh, campaigning, uh, talking to people and uh, making sure they understand uh, what my positions were and uh, paid off tonight with a, a pretty good win. The lone victorious Democrat in KMA land was Josh Turek, who won the Iowa House's 20th district over Republican Sarah Abdush. Two victorious candidates are preparing for new jobs in the Missouri legislature. Unofficial results show Republican Rusty Black defeated Democrat Michael Bomley in the Missouri Senate's 12th district in Tuesday's general elections. A Chillicothe resident, Black received almost 81 percent of the vote to Bomley's 19 percent. No stranger to Jefferson City, Black currently serves as state representative in Missouri's 7th House District. Black saluted his supporters in an interview on election night in KMA land. The 12th Senate District in Missouri has 19 counties in it, so it's pretty hard for one person to try to cover that. And I think that I had a a very good team of 40-plus people in those 19 counties that really worked diligent for me to help get me elected and probably helped a little bit in this November election that we had a pretty hard contest at the August primary as well. Black succeeds Dan Hegeman, who must step down due to term limits. A new face in the legislature is Republican Jeff Farnan. Currently serving as president of the Jefferson C-123 School Board, Farnan defeated Democrat Jessica Piper at Missouri's first House district race. Farnan also credited his campaign supporters with his victory. I, tell you, I had a really good group of people that helped me throughout this whole campaign, you know, starting with my wife to my treasurer to all my neighbors, they all went above and beyond, you know, anything I could ever ask, they were there to help me. So, uh, and just the community support that I had was just unbelievable. Farnan fills the seat vacated by Alan Andrews, who also leaves because of term limits. Neither candidate had much time to savor their victories. Both Black and Farnan traveled to Jefferson City later in the week to elect Missouri House and Senate leaders in the Republican caucuses. Well, believe it or not, there was other news in KMA land this week, including an important decision at Tuesday's Shenandoah City Council meeting. By unanimous vote, the council selected Bree Sorensen's project for an application to the Iowa Economic Development Authority's Community Catalyst Grant. Sorensen's project was one of two under consideration as the city's applicant for up to $100,000 in state grant money for renovation or demolition projects. Sorensen plans to redevelop the bottom floor of 507 West Sheridan Avenue into an office for her law firm and to renovate the top floor into three apartment units. Sorensen's proposal was selected over Tom Slater, who proposed renovating the building at 515 and 517 West Sheridan. Sorensen thanked council members for reviewing and considering each proposal. It's exciting to, to see the the activity on Main Street and whatever your decision tonight is, it's not to say either project is not worthy of the work and financial contribution. Uh, Certainly it's encouraging to see that 
both Tom and I are relatively young individuals, um, to see that investment in the community. So I'm excited to see that. Slater's plans called for renovating three existing apartment units on the top floor of the former Mickey G's building and creating space in the bottom floor for another apartment plus two businesses. Slater says his project isn't a turnkey operation. One council member asked me if $100,000 was going to be enough to get this open and I said no. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's going to be a lot more than that. But if I was approved for this next step, it would definitely move things along a lot, lot faster. Councilman Richard Jones motioned to support Sorensen's application citing an IEDA grant requirement specifying underutilized facilities as recipients. The way I looked at it was, Tom, no knock against you, but that was a business a year, year and a half ago, so it was being utilized. Breeze was not. It's just been sitting there and it, and it took some vision and <laughs> craziness <laughs> to go in and take on that project. So that's why I would lean towards Breeze. Councilman Kim Swank originally voiced support for Slater's proposal, saying it would help create business in the downtown area, but Swank voted in favor of Sorensen's proposal to make the final tally unanimous. Elections may have dominated the headlines this week, but in Clorinda, November 8th also brought a major milestone for Clorinda Police Chief Keith Brothers. Forty years of service in the Clorinda Police Department. During the Clorinda City Council's regular meeting Wednesday night, several police officers, public safety officials, and residents gathered as Clarinda Mayor Craig Hill recognized brothers for the significant milestone. On behalf of the city, Hill presented the police chief with an award of appreciation and gratitude for his service dating back to November 8, 1982. And as completion of his duties yesterday, he has reached 40 years in this community as a member of our police department, an accomplishment that is uh, rare in any field. And under the police department, I got, I'm not knowing exactly all the stress and duties that you have, but uh, that's an amazing event. So uh, we as a city would like to take this opportunity to recognize you and to congratulate you for those uh, this accomplishment today. Following the recognition, brothers thank the city and community for the opportunity and relationships he has built over the past four decades. I'm humble and I'm grateful and it's been my privilege to work in this community and just going to continue on and thank you all very much for um, everything that you've done for me and our personal relationships and our uh, professional relationships. When Brothers first came to Clarend in the early 80s, he says he wasn't sure how long he would stick around, but those strong relationships have led to an extended tenure in Southwest Iowa. Everything happens for a reason. I moved here and I thought, ah. I'm just going to hang out here for a couple of years and then move on. But things happened, and I'm really bad at math, I guess. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's all worked out. Brothers also thanked his fellow police officers for their assistance over the years, a good amount of which were present Wednesday evening. Red Oak officials have approved a new set of guidelines for evaluating the city administrator. By a 4-1 to vote Monday night, the Red Oak City Council approved an annual evaluation form for the position. Councilman Tim Freidoff and Pete Wenhoff collaborated on the form for the past few months and presented a combined rendition to the council. Freidoff says a couple of items were 
added to the proposed document from the Iowa City County Management Association website since the council's previous discussion last month, including instructions for filling out the form and additional areas for other comments. And the last page is just uh, had a place for comments, essentially, is what it was that was lacking. It wasn't lacking from the other one, but it just, <clears throat> there was, these were questions, again, that they had in, included in a sample one that they had that I just thought were good, so I just added those in there because you want a place for comments or feedback. It's always important for that as well. Councilwoman Janice Lester says she had reached out to other communities, one of which was a similar size. It confirmed they did have department heads fill out a similar evaluation for their respective administrator or city manager, ultimately voting in favor of the form to get forward progress. Wenhoff says he felt the document was still too lengthy. I think it's difficult for some to fill that out. I just think if it gets too long, I just think there's still too many questions under each. I'm happy with breaking them out. I just think 40-some questions, if I get counting them up correctly, I think we're at 40. That's a larger deal. I mean, that's a lot of questions. I've never worked for a company that's ever had 40 individual items like that. I've just never seen that in my life. By a similar 4-to-1 vote after one adjustment, the board approved a process for the evaluation to the city administrator. Friedhoff says the process primarily allows setting deadlines to ensure the process is efficient and done in a timely manner. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia says the first deadline entails distributing the form to the mayor, city council members, department heads, and city administrator, followed by another deadline for completion. The second one would be the deadline for completion of all evaluations. The department heads will submit to the city attorney. All other evaluations will be submitted to the evaluation committee which consists of the mayor, mayor pro tem, and one at-large council member. Other deadlines would include the city attorney tabulating the results and presenting them to the evaluation committee and the request for an initial and possible second closed session by the city administrator to discuss the evaluations. Officials with Green Plains Incorporated recently broke ground on a $50 million expansion to its Shenandoah facility. During an earnings conference call for the third quarter of 2022, Green Plains CEO and President Todd Becker announced the progress on the company's first site for clean sugar technology, or CST, patented by the Green Plains' own Fluid Quip Technologies. CST produces low-cost dextrose and fructose through a dry milling technique and provides another product that the existing facility can produce. In Shenandoah, the project is estimated to add 12 new jobs. Even in the early stages, Becker says the installation is already generating interest. This installation is already generating interest from multiple potential partners and customers who share our vision to build a low-carbon footprint biocampus to produce lower carbon ingredients. We remain confident in the rollout of CST after we prove to the market we can make this product at scale and in spec. Becker says the new facility is designed to produce more than $200 billion and up to $500 million with additional capital deployment. He also touted the technology's versatility, particularly given the demand for dextrose. This plant will be able to make refined and unrefined 43, 63, and 95 dextrose products for use in food, chemicals, synthetic biology, and industrial production processes. To give you an example, if we had capacity online today, the equivalent margin based on today's dextrose pricing would be approaching a dollar per gallon or in bushel terms, 
almost $3 a bushel. The expansion is just under the latest addition to the facility since it went online in 2007. In addition to producing ethanol, the facility produces a high-protein product that can be used in fish and other animal feed. Our developing bio campus in Southwest Iowa has long been a showcase plant for us with our first MSC facility, Aqualab, and now our first commercial-scale dextrose facility under construction. And as of Thursday, two other MSC plants have been commissioned in Mount Vernon, Indiana and Obion, Tennessee. Plans call for the company to have the clean sugar technology operational in Shenandoah by the middle part of next year. Legal snarls forced Nebraska City City Council to delay action on an important agreement this week. At its regular meeting, the council tabled action on an interlocal agreement with Oto County for the purchase of dispatch equipment and software for the city's fire rescue departments. Under the agreement, Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says the city and county split the costs of the new equipment, which is estimated at up to $50,000. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Beckett says the equipment includes new technology allowing dispatch to pinpoint the location of a call. Beckett, however, says the commissioners delayed a decision due to some language issues regarding the agreement. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com. You can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.